In a thicket of some secluded forest, the village girls dance <laughs> naked by firelight. A handsome missionary hides in the bush to observe their paganist ritual. And beholds that each nubile youth bears the sign of a burning ring. Poor jail and underclod, I suckle at thy earthy sod. Worship him with all I can, my soul I give to thee, green man. This is one from the vaults. Keep a firm grasp on your lucky heather as we step into the folklore of your... And be sure to spy upon your local teens in case they too get naked. I don't like the way you worded that. I just mean make sure the youngsters behave themselves, perhaps with a few firm spankings. That sounds much worse. Oh, what's wrong with slapping a few naked kids on the backside? Right. to the internet's exclusive podcast on all things Anvil. Exclusive as in niche subject matter or exclusive as in difficult to get into? Both. Us again, the old SS, uh, Warren Clinton Rufus. Episode 9, feeling okay. Not fine? No, I think I'm still a bit shook up after seeing Otis brutally devoured by zombie felines at my stag do. Felt like I was only just getting to know him. You were just getting to know him. That was the first time you met. Sometimes you just click with a person. That's why he'll be my best man. Whoa, hang on. I thought I was your best man. You asked me ages ago. Mm, Did I though? Of course you did. We were walking past the newsagent. I popped in for a copy of Luddites Unite magazine and bought you a Freddo and you said, thanks pal, you're the best man. Ah, no, no. I said, you're the best man. Did you not hear the comma? For those concerned about Otis's death by undead cats, we did report the incident to the police, and they said, and I quote, sounds like a you problem. I asked him posthumously to be my best man, and if I know Otis, I think he'd have said yes. But you didn't know him. He was my friend from the FMO. FMO? More like FOMO. Am I right? Why are you whispering at me? Warren can hear you. He's sat right there. Well... Otis only joined your big boys club to get closer to us. Because he was an obsessive stalker with a demonic conspiracy complex. Top bloke, though. Exactly. Best man material. But not us. Your living friends. Ah, you know you'll always be the best man. I heard the comma that time. This week, we'll be looking at a folk horror masterpiece from the latter days of Anvil Studios. Set in 17th century rural Lancashire, the burning ring of Satan tells a tale of pagan superstition through 60s sex position. Which sex position? I bet I've done it. Uh, No, it's the art of explaining complex plot using sexy stimuli. Oh, like when you taught me equivalent fractions using blow-up dolls. Sort of. Like all movie trailers, this promo clip covers most of the film's plots. 
ancient homes to our village. A stranger comes. Who is it? Tell me, old crone. Be it the curmudgeon, known for drowning kittens and wives, or the miller, who is said to be nigh on six feet tall. Hush, child. Else he which stalketh in woods will silence thee for good. Good enough. Reverend Charles, good enough. I took off the wrong turn. My horse could not read the road signs, and I have come upon you by mishap. Oh, most happy mishap. Hush, child. Tis a blessing a sacred man should find us now. Our old vigour have just succumbed to dropsy, and we are without holy governance. Alas, I cannot stay long. I journey forth to western shores. Hast thou travelled far, weary sir? From the great metropolis of Lincoln. Freak me, that's far. Fear for us, Reverend. With our preacher gone, evil mayor and a mock in this village, our young girls dance anon and will no doubt turn to witchcraft. Nay, barkeep, witchcraft be dead and discredited in that order. Oh, be not certain, sir. They already possess his mark. Whose mark? I mark. Not the mark. I speak of something I wish not to see again. Wast the burning ring of Satan? Twas Farmer Jowkin milking his own horse. Oh, dead right. I drank that milk. His ring is burnt upon our fair flesh. Won't you save us? For you were good. Good enough. What wickedness dwells in the idyllic hills of Lancashire? Find out in Anvil's newest terror picture. The Burning Ring of Satan. Our film Dirt Day was one of the final big hitters for the ill-fated studio. Indeed. Just 12 months to the day after its release, the entire Anvil archive burnt to the ground in what can only be described as a lot of fire. And though best known for sharing its name with a dungeon-themed fetish club in Prestatin, the Burning Ring of Satan is also considered one of Anvil's most overtly political films. Written single-handedly by Beverly Anvil himself, this script wore its heart on its sleeve. And collar. And even its flared trousers. Mr Anvil was increasingly discontent with the foibles of British society, and this was reflected in the movies he produced around this time, including the anti-monarchist historical epic Cromwell Had the Right Idea, and his hedonistic homage to the far-out youth with Silly Sally Sells Her Soul. Not to mention his infamous short film, The Government of Bastards. Feeling the cynicism rotting away at him, the head of the studio finally put his foot down specifically on the accelerator of his Morris Minor, and sped north. His determination and remaining petrol drove him to the remote village of Undletwistle in Lancashire, where he spent several nights in its only tavern, the Bear and Orphan. Whilst there, the publican, 
a man remarkably named Cliff Richard, recalled the filmmaker feverishly scribbling in his notebook of an evening. Why remarkably named? Well, because he was called Cliff Richard. Well, I can think of loads more remarkable names than that. Ishmael Hungerby, that's worth remarking on. Dolores DeLorean. Bobby Bibby. I could go on. Please don't. Uh, no, Rufus. Um, Cliff Richard is remarkable because of the famous singer. Which singer? Vera Lynn. Eh? She sang about the White Cliffs of Dover and um, there's a whole verse where she names them all. Uh, there is Vic, Bill and Sandy, Richard too. Never heard of it. I can always ask Doreen's mum. She knows loads about old songs. Doreen's mother? You mean she's still alive? Oh, aye. Ah, she's one of the few people in Britain with an age higher than her IQ. I can't wait to meet her at the wedding. You've not even met her? She doesn't get out much. Not chlorine. Doreen's mother's called chlorine. Ah, I think it's Irish. I think it's stupid. Shall we get back to the observant landlord, Cliff Richard? Yes. God, it feels like that was ages ago. Well, it was the 1960s. Not what I meant. Cliff Richard watched Beverly Anvil writing and drinking, drinking and writing, filling his eye-bound notebook with what would become his only solo pen screenplay. It seemed the village of Undletwistle had inspired him. More on that notebook later. I feel very strongly that this ungodliness, this blasphemy, this disregard for the church has pervaded our blessed culture without reproach for too long. Where is the censorship of such films as we have seen of late, flooding from the sinful pit of this Anvil Studios, hmm? I may not have the voice of the modern man, but I have the words of the Almighty in my mouth. And he cannot stay silent any longer. Something has to be done. <laughs> Thank you for that. Reverend Good of the Church of England. Now, speaking to us about her latest role, we have actress Eliza Hancock, who stars in The Burning Ring of Satan from Anvil Studios. Sounds great. With the increased contemporary taste for sacrilegious horror films, there came a whiny backlash from the sanctimoniousness of the C of E. Cheeses of Edam. Church of England. Oh, shame. Cheeses of Edam is my favourite post-glam rock band. Due to declining numbers in their congregations and the rise of literally anything else to do on Sunday mornings, the church tried desperately to remain relevant by taking a strong stance against any moral degradation. This included most cinema, music over 69 decibels, and married sexual intercourse that lasted longer than 13 seconds. At the head of this crusade was the severe Reverend Charles Good. The man led a veritable army of parochial pensioners into protesting outside every cinema screening one of Anvil's supposedly immoral movies. Ironically, when many of them would normally be attending a church service. These slow-moving but aggressive protesters were nicknamed Hell's Waiting Room Attendants by the studio executives who sought to produce more overtly blasphemous movies, merely to enrage the Blue Rinse Brigade further. 
culminating in Anvil's burning ring. The protagonist, being a holier-than-thou missionary, Charles Goodenough, was clearly based on the real-life Reverend Good, who was leading that boycott against the studio. In the film, Goodenough tries in vain to protect the villagers from the alleged satanic rings, but is instead ensnared, bewitched and trussed up in twigs as a sacrifice to their pagan deity of nature, known only as the Green Man. A god of soil and fertility, worshipped by the ancient Lancastrian commune. An explicit demonstration of Anvil's feelings towards his zealous antagonist. I might get Doreen's name tattooed on my neck. What do you reckon? Why ask us? You should consult your best man. Oh wait, he's fully dead. Oh, give over, Clint. I've made my choice, so stop bringing it up. Sorry, but when something makes me sick, I have to bring it up. You are not required. The ritual will commence without you. You what? Eh? Oh, now, uh, it's just a yawn. No, you just said something. It was odd. Yeah, that weren't a yawn. A yawn is more like... Can we not talk about yawning? I'm sleepy enough as it is. That bloody whispering keeps happening every night. It's the strangest thing. More strange than your pet cat and his pals mauling our stalker to death. It's not just whispers. His bedroom gets really hot too. Thank you, Rufus. At least you understand my nocturnal plight. I'd have liked to have watched this film, actually, if I'm honest. Such a shame that every last copy were lost in that untimely incineration in 1968. Is there such a thing as a timely incineration? A cremation? Not necessarily. My Aunt Fistula just wouldn't set a light. It took three days and a whole bottle of cooking oil for Uncle Harpo to get her going. The owner of that car park weren't best pleased mind. One of the few clips we found from this film features the Reverend Goodenough overhearing about the epidemic of devilish rings singed into the flesh of the local girls. The clip was recently recovered from the desk of the captain of that ship what got stuck in that big canal. There they are, Father Goodenough. A dish of nondescript meat and taters. Tis a local delicacy to be washeth down with a flagon of tepid ale. Thank you kindly, fair barkeep. Two pebbles for thy trouble. Hold thine ear close to my lips, Samuel. Hast heard of these hellish rings? Heard? Heard? I hath seen Jalkin. Ma Susan has one upon her left buttock. The juicy one. Tis not to lower the tattle, then. Of what shape be this ring? Why, a perfect circle. The devil's own shape. Her skin be red and crusted in the midst of her off pale and creamy flesh. I can picture it not, for I am cursed with weak imagination. Could I have a look? Come along, Farmer Jalkin, and behold the burning ring of Satan. Could it be? A sweet Susan's body tasted the devil's own poker. Reverend Goodenough was played by the handsome heartthrob Hal Wonder, an actor so attractive that several co-stars could only act opposite drawings of him for fear his real face would prove too overwhelming. Indeed. Even his photograph induced a tension in my body that I'm unaccustomed to. And you may recognise the voice of the innkeeper, 
but only if you're familiar with lowbrow music hall double acts from the late 1950s. That's right, it's a rare film cameo from Cockney Ernie Blue, one half of the end of the pier pair, Black and Blue, the bawdiest comic duo in the biz. His partner, Sid Black, was also due to appear in the film as Farmer Jowkin, but sadly declined the role due to scheduling conflicts and imprisonment. And the role of 17-year-old maiden Clara Bell went to the West End star Eliza Hancock, despite the actress version on 40 at the time of filming. She and Beverly Anvil were old boozing buddies, having spaffed away many a night at the Soho drinking den The Canny Bitch on Old Compton Street. It is now a Chiquito's. Though Eliza's performance is convincing, there's no disguising the years of whiskey, cigarillos and sexual maturity in her husky droll, as heard in this clip found in the escape pod of the International Space Station. What compels thee, young nubile wenches, to dance thus on the Sabbath? Oh, I know not. My seventeen years have not taught me much, kind reverend. And what of the animal heads you wear? Oh, it is the fashion. Must you leave us? I am bound for Ireland, and must not falter. Tis God's work I do. We need thee more than God. Oh, speak not so, child. But what of my little sister, Anne? She hath been branded with Satan's ring. As hath you all. I can do naught more than a physician. Is she brought? Her mouth. It is frothing. Her mouth. The devil's orifice. Satan's own spittle. Save her. I am bound by my religion to rescue this infant from her torment. Should I fail, I will be sure to end her suffering. Oh, well, that doth sound good. By which I mean I would drown her until dead. Ah. Come then, she's in the stone house. But the frothing sister is merely a ruse from the incredibly mature 17-year-old Clara, and the Reverend Goodenough falls into her trap. Nice. The villagers have been waiting for their human vessel. Goodenough is knocked unconscious and wakes in a cell plastered with grass and twigs. We've all been there. In a grand, horrifying finale, the preacher is dragged into the village where his body becomes possessed by the spirit of the green man. A storm erupts which cleanses the pagans dancing about their sacrifice. Bit far-fetched, really. This sceptic's disbelief is but a step towards ultimate power. Eh? What? It was just a big yawn. You keep saying bizarre things. Oh, look, I'm exhausted. Please, can we just skip to the end? Church reacts to the film, Rufus goes off on a tangent, Clint gets a bit cross, creepy notebook entry, music done. Whoa, way to peek up the wizard's ass. I think it's wizard's sleeve. Sleeve, arse, potato, tomato. What's that then? Your shopping list? <laughs> yeah. or, or, or the name of Doreen's bridesmaids, eh? Oh, don't be daft. Look, they're called Coagula, Oblongata and Cousin Imp. She's got a cousin called Imp. It's a traditional Irish name amongst old quarrying families. Doreen's lot are from a long line of quarriers. 
Well, um, speaking of outdated institutions with a history of accidental burials, the church were up in arms over the film being granted approval for release. The British Board of Decency and Manners, who oversaw film censorship at the time, made up of 17 prominent middle-aged gentlemen, stated the movie demonstrates nothing but the natural beauty of a few nudie girlies. Creeps. Do we... Do we have any clips of the nude scenes? The Burning Ring of Satan opened in over 85 cinemas across the country. It opened in 86 cinemas. And front of the queue for the film's first screening was, of course, the Reverend Charles Good, head of the pro-church and anti-everything-else Party of Petty Pensioners, who had tried to ban the film in first place. One week later... Rev Good was back on telly to give his verdict. I feel very strongly that this film is utterly and irredeemably brilliant. A wonderful demonstration of moral conviction from an upstanding and incredibly handsome Christian who just happens to have a name that resembles my own. This chiselled reverend confronts the heathen peasants most bravely. The bit where he has all those young naked girls on their knees, denouncing the devil, spraying them with holy water. Well, just thinking about it now gives me a tension in my body I'm unaccustomed to. With the reverend good, now a full convert of the film, special screenings were set up at local church halls across the nation. Village fates began adopting elements from the pagans of the movie during all celebrations. Just small aspects like an open bonfire, uh, wearing animal heads, a bit of naked dancing, prolonged chants. Oh, Doreen loves chants. She might do one at the wedding. Well, she's certainly taking a chance by marrying you, eh? See? This. This is why you're not my best man. Otis would never say that. Because he's dead. Fine. I mean, can I at least invite some plus ones? How many? Five plus ones? So, six. No, he means a plus five. We can't have six plus fives at my wedding. That'd be too many. I meant just five people. Some of the lads from the FMO, you'll barely notice them. They'll all be in cloaks and masks and avoiding hors d'oeuvres. Horse earth? We're not serving horse eggs. We're not Will and Kate. You can say that again. Now, as promised, we finally return to Beverly's notebook. What did Mr Anvil scroll in its pages during those lonely nights in that pub in Undletwistle? Though Cliff Richard is sadly no longer with us, the landlord, that is, not the singer, he'll never die, apparently, I was able to find the Baron Orphan pub. But due to apparently prejudice overtones, the name has recently changed. Changed to what? The Chuff Inn. It's still a family-run establishment, though now managed by Cliff's niece. Who, quite amusingly, is actually named Belinda Carlyle. There's nothing funny about the name Belinda. I find it beautiful. When the film was released, her uncle Cliff saw that he inspired the comical innkeeper character played by Ernie Blue, and he sought recompense. 
Consorting the notebook, Anvil's lawyers could not refute the claims of inspiration and thought it best to give the petty publican payment of some sort to keep him placated. What they sent him were a few pages of Beverly's notebook, along with a signature claiming it'll be worth something up north, like a pig or whatever. Just exactly like a pig. Belinda kindly sent us a photo of these pages, which are still framed and hanging up on the walls of the Chuff Inn. There's an interesting passage we deciphered from Mr Anvil's own spidery handwriting, which reveal his inner thoughts at this time. <clears throat> uh, it reads, I had to go. He suspects. I see now there are unknown forces out there which can be harnessed by those who believe. Power to the powerless. Life to the lifeless. This spirit is inside Gordon, I know it. Not a possession, but an embodiment of evil itself. I must be mad to think it, but I saw what his little society of pathetic men was up to. They use me, my studio, these films. Malcolm will at last escape his physical form via celluloid reels and transcend into the god he thinks he is. I heard them chanting, Vindictem Nia Orbis, over and over and over. It echoes in my ears even now. I had to leave, to think, to plan. I know what must be done to stop him, them. I will flag Naradadim. What? I'm not sure. The handwriting gets very spidery at the end there. Well, I suppose he had been drinking many pints of tepid ale as he wrote this. Who are these blokes, Gordon and Malcolm? What if he's just referring to one bloke? Malcolm Gordon. Two first names, now that's sinister. Like Cliff Richard. So you do know who Cliff Richard is then? The incredibly famous singer. Of course I do. Oh, well, congratulations. And jubilations. Do you think Anvil ever did find out how to stop Malcolm? Hey, lads, who's got two long thumbs and will be married by this time next episode? Your thumbs are disturbingly long. All the better for hitchhiking with. Hence why our honeymoon is going to be on the M4. I can't wait to be Mr Doreen Midgley. It's going to be the wedding of the decade. Shandy, crisps, a whole cow's worth of bovril. Oh, by the way, I forgot to put that deposit down at the Toby Carvery, so I reckon we're just going to have the reception here. What, on my allotment? Yeah, you can pop in the shed and do a cheeky recording at the same time. What, for the series finale? It's going to be banging. Right, well, that's it for now. You've been listening to the Cinema Society, a.k.a. the SS. And this has been... One, one, from, one from, from the, the vaults. vaults. I shall have my retribution. Warren? It was a big yawn!
One from the Vaults is a co-production between the Cinema Society and Medium Rare Productions. It was written and performed by Joel Heritage, Jacob Lovick and Jack Robertson, with additional performances by Tom Everett, Kelly Parker and Tom Thornhill, and edited by Jacob Lovick. The music is by Cyclone Marlowe. It is based on an original idea created with Chaz Redhead. You can follow us on at Cinema Society on Twitter, email us on cinemasociety at gmail.com, and remember that cinema is always spelt with an S. <laughs> <laughs>